Dr. Frank Mitloner, a professor and air quality specialist based at UC Davis in California. Thank you very much for joining us on AgriLand, Frank. You're most welcome. First of all, Dr. Mitloner, can I talk to you on something that you are very learned in, and that's emissions, and specifically in relation to agricultural emissions and methane? Now, I know that you have spoken on this numerous times and you have written papers and you have given many, many talks on this particular topic. But I suppose it's about what the difference, what you determine to be methane emissions from agriculture and how it might differ from what other people determine as the methane output from agriculture. Well, first of all, uh, animal agriculture is a significant source of methane. Um, and here there are two main sources. The one is enteric emissions, and that's what uh, particularly ruminants belch out, what's coming out at the front end. Uh, that's probably the leading one, the leading source of methane from animal agriculture. The second one is animal manure. Um, and here the question is, how is that animal manure stored? If it's stored under anaerobic conditions, so oxygen-deprived conditions, then that manure storage can produce a significant amount of methane. Methane in general is developed under oxygen-deprived conditions, and that is the case uh, with a rumen of a ruminant animal, the digestive system, uh, totally oxygen-deprived. That's why these microbes um, thrive in there and produce that gas. Uh, and it's also the case in uh, manure storages. But uh, thankfully, we can do something about these sources, and we can reduce methane emissions. And if we do, we can turn something that's generally considered a problem into a solution. And Dr. Mitloner, when you talk about um, methane emissions, I know that the calculation of methane emissions nowadays is open to interpretation, probably to a lesser extent, and there is a uniform assessment of it globally in terms of CO2 equivalent. But why do you feel that emissions from agriculture should be assessed differently? So um, in general, over the last 30 years or so, uh, methane and nitrous oxide, another greenhouse gas, uh, had been compared to CO2 by simply using a so-called matrix called global warming potential 100 or global potential a global warming potential 20. Um, what these what these so-called uh, global warming potentials do is they assign a factor to methane for example saying methane is 28 times more potent than co2 so if you have let's say a farm that produces let's just say 10 tons of methane all you need to do is multiply the 10 tons the 10 times this factor which is 28 outcomes 280 tons of CO2 equivalent emissions. Now, I don't have a beef, so to say, with the fact that methane is more potent than CO2. It clearly is. But methane has other nuances to it. Namely, it is a short-lived climate pollutant and CO2 is a long-lived climate pollutant. CO2 stays in the atmosphere for uh, hundreds, if not a thousand years or longer, and methane for a little over one decade. And that is really important to know when you want to know what the changes over time are. So, for example, if you were to run a dairy and you started that in 1980, then it's important to know what did your methane do from 1980 to 1990, 2000, 2010, 2020. 
and what is projected to happen in 2030-2040. Why is that important? Because methane being so short-lived, if you maintain it, and this is really important now, if you maintain methane at constant rates, then a similar amount of methane that's produced by your animals is also naturally removed by something called atmospheric removal. It is a process called hydroxyl oxidation. Okay, So methane is not just produced, methane is also naturally removed. And if you have a constant source of methane, then that constant source, and this is critical, does not add additional warming to our planet. A constant source of methane does not add additional warming to our planet. Now, if you increase methane, let's say your farm from 1980 until today has increased methane, then you have drastically increased warming. And of course, we don't want to do that. What is really important, though, is that if you manage to reduce methane, then you are putting less methane into the atmosphere than is naturally removed. And that means you now have a reduction of methane, and that causes a reduction of warming. So if we manage methane and reduce it, then we reduce warming. And that is what I'm working on with the farming industry throughout the world to achieve. Reducing methane can place animal agriculture into a position where they become part of a climate solution. And when you mentioned there a dairy farmer who perhaps started in dairy in the early 1980s and increased the production of methane over 10, 20, 30 years, are you referring to an increase in the dairy herd that that farmer may have? It's not all about herd sizes. I hear a lot of discussion in Ireland about herd sizes, and that's largely because people who hold this discussion don't understand that methane is not just a um, of, is not just a result of a certain size herd, but how these herds are managed. You can increase herd size and still reduce methane if you manage those increasing herds well. But I'm not proposing that. I'm not saying you know let's go ahead and grow herds. I'm just saying herd size is a bad predictor for emissions. A much better predictor for emissions is how those animals are managed and how the manure is managed. And so you can definitely have a constant herd and reduce emissions drastically by 20, by 30%. And if you do reduce methane by so much, then you will find, if you use the correct um, calculations of assessing methane over time, then you will see that you can become climate neutral. You can be net zero warming, in other words, meaning not add any additional warming to our planet. And that is achievable if you reduce methane by 20 to 30%. Um, and that is really what we are um, working on very hard here in California and in other places, um, because then we achieve what we are all after, which is have a sector that does not add additional warming to our planet. And, uh, and that should be the goal. I will say, though, that the dairy system in California is somewhat different to the dairy system in Ireland and, you know, predominantly meal-fed cattle in California, no? Yeah, it is definitely different. And uh, it is not my intent to compare the two to one another. But um, 
The reason why in the past I have offered this as an example is to show that even uh, a dairy sector as large as ours is, and our dairies are way larger than yours, ours are on average 2,000 dairy cows, lactating cows per farm. And we have hundreds of those, okay? So our dairy sector is way larger than yours is. Um, but even here, we managed to drastically reduce methane, and that is certified by the state agencies. It's um, now enumerated, meaning farmers now receive payments for reducing methane. And uh, we have generated a system that works. Now, is this transferable to Ireland? No, it's not. But there are elements of it that will be. For example, we are doing research on how to reduce enteric fermentation, meaning the gases that come from the front end of these animals. While we here are not able to use some of these technologies today because they are not permitted here yet, in Europe they are. And that means the Irish farmer um, has more options at his or her disposal than we do here. There will be multiple tools in the toolbox, most of which are overlooked, particularly by those critical of animal agriculture in Ireland. But there will be multiple tools, including genetic selection. There are animals in each kind of breed that produce less methane than their peers. Why not taking those animals and use them uh, in select breeding? There are now efforts in certain parts of the world on uh, using vaccines for methane. A vaccine for methane, where you inject the animal with a vaccine to reduce methane. How far that is, uh, I don't know, but I know the New Zealanders are working um, very strongly on that. Then we have ways of reducing methane from animal manure. Um, now, your specific challenge in Ireland is that you have so much uh, grazing or so many grazing animals. So the question is, how can we get something that's an active ingredient that reduces methane into those animals? And I think here the question is, are these dairy animals or are these beef animals? If we're talking dairy animals, the good thing about dairy animals is that they have to be milked several times a day. And when they are being milked, you could theoretically get a feed additive into them. You could just give them some, um, some something that they like to nibble on and add the active ingredient that reduces methane to it. That is possible. I've seen it happening. Um, and, um, and it could happen. Uh, and you would reduce 30% or so of methane just by doing that. Just by doing that. Dr. Mitloner, when you're, you're talking there about, you know, I suppose, tools that can be used to either reduce methane or... I suppose what you mentioned there, you, were, you I think you, you said it was more atmospheric, but what we are looking at here in Ireland at the moment is a lot to do with carbon sequestration. And we seem to be at the very beginning stages of this at a time when time is not on our side. And while research is being done, and certainly what you've mentioned there in terms of genetic breeding um, to reduce emissions, that's all being done now at the moment but I feel like we got on this roller coaster a little too late and we're trying to play catch up so you mentioned that the Californian dairy farmers for example are remunerated for reducing methane like who, who funds that because that is something that our farm representatives have been asking for here that if farmers have to undertake new measures to reduce methane and emissions 
it will come at a cost or else they should get credits of some sort for carbon sequestration? Yeah, so uh, the first first part of your question uh, along the lines of soil carbon sequestration, um, healthy soils have the ability to, to trap and, and capture about a third of human-caused carbon. And uh, if we manage those soils correctly, that carbon stays there. Um, the question is, um, at what point does sequestration taper off and, and not uh, sequester additional amounts? Um, what kind of soil types are better used than others for optimal soil carbon sequestration and so on? There are lots of questions along the lines of soil carbon sequestration, but we know it's an important tool, one that needs to be added to our toolbox. And I think that Ireland is particularly um, um well suited because you have so much grazing land and by using certain grazing methods certain um, also forage types and so on you can accelerate soil carbon sequestration now your second the second part of your question now every parent listening to this uh, will know that if you um, want to make changes to your kids or to anyone uh, you have a carrot or you have a cane approach the carrot approach being a reward, the cane approach being a penalty. And um, if we apply this to agriculture, um, we have seen that there are several places in the world that use the cane approach. They like to use rules, regulations, fines, taxation, herd size reduction, and so on. And what happens is farmers are on the streets, farmers are upset, farmers are revolting in places like the Netherlands uh, and other places throughout the world. Um, in my opinion, the cane approach does not work as well. Why do I know this? I know this because we have used the so-called carrot approach here in California, where the state understands that if farmers need to reduce methane, for example, they can't do this by themselves. There has to be some kind of market um, incentive for farmers to do that, because otherwise it's just an added cost. And... Um, it won't just happen. So the state of California has probably the most aggressive methane um, aspirations anywhere in the world. We, are, we have a law, SB 1383, that mandates a 40%, 40 40% reduction of methane that is to be achieved by the year 2030. And that's 40% less than we produced in 2013. That's our base year. At first, our farmers thought that could never be achieved to then learn that the state of California will partner with the industry, help them put in anaerobic digesters, for example, um, and many dairies have done that. They have covered their lagoons so that the gases no longer go into the air. They are cleaning those uh, uh, gas mixtures, the so-called biogas, up. And by the way, 60% of that 6-0 is methane. And then they um, convert that biogas into transportation fuels for heavy-duty trucks, for buses, and so on. And once it goes into those vehicles, it replaces what formerly was emissions from diesel with much fewer emissions from this much cleaner biogas-derived uh, fuel called renewable natural gas. The state of California, as a result of reducing these greenhouse gases and providing cleaner fuel has um, has issued a system that's called the low carbon fuel standard credits 
and uh, farmers who use this pathway of converting biogas from their lagoons into transportation fuels will receive those credits and they are very significant. And as a result, there's a new gold rush going on in California where farmers are flocking to putting in this technology to reduce emissions. They're not doing this just because they want to be green, but they're doing this because they want to be in the green and stay in the green, meaning financially viable while also doing the right thing environmentally. This is the carrot approach. It works. I see it work. And that's why I'm uh, all for it. I suppose in Ireland, a lot of farmers would say they're taking the cane approach as opposed to the carrot approach. And there's a, a narrative out there at the moment that we cannot reach our emissions targets without reducing our national herd. And I know you referenced it earlier in um, our discussion here, but um, for example, our Department of Agriculture um, has apparently put forward recommendations. Now, indeed, there are recommendations and farm organizations have said they won't accept them. But for some sort of exit scheme for, you know, um, suckler farmers, for example. And also, um, we have now to reach a 25 percent emissions reduction for the agricultural sector by 2030. The initial figure that farmers said the maximum that they would be able to do would be 2021. And they said that would not even be achievable. You know a lot about Irish agriculture, Dr. Mitloner. Do you think it's achievable that we can reach 25% reduction in emissions from agriculture by that date? Well, so first, let me tell you this. I know that there are people who are very anti um foreigners to meddle with what's going on in Ireland. Okay, so first of all, let me assure you, I'm not meddling with what's going on. I have been asked by the Irish, by the Irish Parliament, by Irish farmers, um, whether I could assist them in figuring out tools to reduce methane. I think that this is a very noble cause, okay? And this is what I have dedicated my whole career to. Identify, quantify emissions from the livestock sector and finding ways to reducing them. That's what I'm working on here. And because it works here, here in California, others have asked, can you assist us? So I have visited Ireland several times and I have talked to numerous farmers, people actually in the field and who have shown me what they do with respect to forage management, what they do with respect to genetic, genetic improvement. They have shown me um, what kind of manure systems they have and so forth. Um, in my opinion, it is very likely that the Irish will be able to achieve significant reductions. I would encourage the public sector to think about assisting the farming sector because not just is that um, helping farmers to do what's right, but it can be done in a cost-effective way. Let me give you one example. Um, of all the public funds that are spent here in California to reduce methane, of all those public funds, the dairy sector gets 2% of the total. Okay, 98% go to other sectors, 2% go to the dairy sector. But this relatively small investment, these 2% of public investment funds, have achieved a 30% of methane reduction across all sectors in the state. So if you look at all sectors in California that have reduced methane, the dairy sector has a 30% share of that total reduction. So 2% of total public funds spent on methane reductions went to dairy and have achieved 30% of all those public funds 
supported results. And so the legislature, the agencies are looking at that and they are saying that is a great return on investment. So um, I just want to re-emphasize, I don't want to be viewed as meddling, but I do want to uh, let your people know that this is not a waste of money, but it could be a very smart investment, helping farmers to do something that they, without public support, probably couldn't do that well. But with public support, I do think that these uh, reductions would be possible. You have to think as a country as to how important this sector is to you. How important is the farming sector? Um, is it something that you just want to let go of partly by let's say, shrinking herds, in my opinion, and I have mentioned that um, in my discussions with the Irish before, a herd size reduction is, a, uh, is an approach that I don't think is meaningful. And the reason for this is the following. You export the vast majority of what you produce. You are a country of 4 million people producing food for 50 million people. So if I go to the supermarkets in the United States, your butter is the number two butter sold in this country here. Okay. So what were to happen if you were to get rid of 30, 40, 50, I don't know how many percent, but a sizable chunk of your livestock herds. Would that mean that the demand for those products would all of a sudden just disappear? That all of a sudden people would not buy butter anymore because you don't produce it? Of course not. What would happen is that the Kerrygold that's sold right now in our supermarkets would be replaced by some other brand. And the emissions that are generated by your cows would be generated by other cows elsewhere. This is a process called leakage. If you just chuff a part of your production away from your borders, somebody else will pick up the slack and replace that. And a methane molecule or a nitrous oxide molecule they do not care where they are emitted, whether they are emitted in Ireland or in Germany or in Brazil. They will be emitted. So you don't reduce greenhouse gas emissions by reducing herd size because somebody else will pick it up. But you will lose a significant part of your industry. And you as a country have to decide whether you're willing to go that step. Dr. Frank Mitloner, thank you very much for joining us today. We could talk for another hour, uh, Dr. Mitloner. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Very interesting points and thoughts. And indeed, we will talk to you down the line again. Dr. Frank Mitloner from UC Davis in California. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.